Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. Our world is... It's pretty wacky right now. I mean, I I don't even have to tell you that. You know what's going on. Everything feels upside down sometimes. We still feel like we're recovering uh, from from what happened, you know, for the last, really really since last February. Uh, It's almost a full year of, of, of just weirdness in every way. And what that can cause you to do is it can cause you to kind of... Um, begin to resent everything or, or feel very apathetic, like you just don't really care, you don't have energy to do anything, and you can just sort of go numb, or you can dig down and get introspective and start looking on the inside and ask yourself questions like, well, why did I respond like this? Why did my life start getting negative? Y'all, listen, as pastors, we counsel people on a regular basis. Did you know that personally people we know, we have seen like seven or eight couples get divorced this year in the last in, in the last 12 months get divorced that loved God at one time and we're just I mean some of them still do love God I mean, they, they can't control what someone else uh, someone else is doing but we've seen people just absolutely crumble and fall apart uh, during this thing because people refuse to look on the inside And say, what is causing me to respond that way? So let's put our hands back in the air. Online, put your hands back in the air. Say, please, Lord, show me today what is running my life. Come on, look up to the Lord. Say, Jesus, show me today why I do the things I do. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, I want to change it. Come on, now somebody give God a praise. Let's get some energy. In this room today, I'm not going to stand for this. I'm not going to stand for having the same things that drag me into endless cycles of failure over and over again. It's time to dethrone. I said it's time to dethrone the rulers that are trying to steal the place that only is meant for Jesus in my heart. There are things that perpetually call my name. There are things that are perpetually invite me to give them authority in my life. And it's amazing how easily I do it. It's amazing how, how so easily when I'm struggling a little bit or I'm lonely or nobody's called me or no one liked my Instagram and I spent two hours on it. They liked theirs, but they didn't like mine. What? I mean, these are the things that make us fall apart. We have to do whatever we need to do to make sure that nothing is making us set aside a place on our heart for it and only it. We gotta kick it out. We gotta, we, whatever we gotta lose, whatever we gotta throw away. I heard an unbelievably inspiring story about a person who really, really loves Jesus and he happened to be really great at business. And he got to a point where he was worth about $25 million in business. And, but he knew that the power that came along with it was really tempting to him. 
And th- th- he realized that there was something with money that through money he was able to influence people and people wouldn't just talk to him like a normal person. They were always sort of submitting and, and bowing down to his wishes and no one would really challenge him or calling out, call him out on his lifestyle. So you know what he did? He gave it all away. Every single dime. He had zero dollars in his account. He gave it all away because he said, I refuse to let something dominate me. I'm not suggesting you do that, but here's the interesting part of the story is the next time he built it up to 50 million. And you know what the Lord told him to do? Give it all away. And, and I think that I didn't hear the third, I don't, I don't think it went to a hundred million, but I think he, I think he finally, he finally got to a point where the Lord said, okay, now I'm going to teach you sort of how to manage this and how to work with it. But can you imagine giving away the thing that you struggled with the most? We have idols in our lives. And, and you know, I t- and I set this up t- a couple weeks ago when I talked about this, how when we hear the word idol, we're like, well, I don't have any statues. God doesn't care about statues. He's not worried about statues. It's what that statue represents. I mean, there are people in here, you walk in a restaurant, you go, oh, they got a Buddha uh, statue. We can't eat here. Well, buddy, if you're with me, we're eating some Chinese food. We're eating there. I like Chinese food. God ain't worried about no little doll. Okay. Do they have orange chicken? Is it good? Do they have fried rice? Let's throw down and bless it in the name of Jesus. All right. I'm fine with that. Okay, you, we can, we can, you, now, if you got one sitting on your, 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 your fireplace or something like that. That's a different story. We got to talk about that because what it represents is significant. God is not worried so much about the physical. Why? He can obliterate that in a second. I mean, in the Old Testament, that God, uh, Dagon, that they had the statue there, the next morning they woke up, its arms and legs are cut off. It's, it, it fell over. God was just showing, hey, I'm not worried about statues. But we have idols that are not statues, they're things in our lives. Whether it's addictions or relationships or the the craving for recognition and attention or where is it that we go to truly get our security? Is it our job? Is it our money? Is it our status? Is it our reputation? And sometimes we do this in a religious way. Christians think they have no idols because they worship God so perfectly, but you don't realize that legalism has become an idol in your life. Being perfect is the idol in your life. You're trying to give God the glory for it, but you're really actually trying to take all the glory for yourself. There's no humility there. And and then on the other side, we've got people who are so grace-filled that they're willing to overlook any sin to fill their indulgences because they're allowing different idols each week, each day to fill that space and that void. And and when you think of it, it's a primary commandment. God says in Exodus 20, you may worship no other God but me. He says, don't make for yourself any idols, no images of animals, birds, or fish. Then he says, you must never bow or worship it in any way. I'm just telling you something right now. We worship passionately. But, but what is it that we're worshiping? That, that's, a, that's a fundamental question that we have to ask ourselves on a regular basis. So this is kind of the way I set this up a, a couple weeks ago. Then I got into really the story of, of Jacob and how Jacob 
was from, from the earliest time we know him, his name means sort of cheater or supplanter or somebody who does whatever they need to do to get what they want. And I think there's a lot of that in each one of us. If we're on, can we be honest in church? Are we going to be one of those churches that just tries to tell you what you want to hear? Or are we going to be the kind of church that tells the truth? Because I feel like the truth is what we need right now. We need it. I think there's a little Jacob in all of us. And I think that the way, the way Jacob worked his life to get what he needed, it has to, I mean, if, if you're honest with yourself, you have to admit you do that too. He so desperately wanted the birthright of his brother. His brother Esau was his twin. It was born just a few minutes before him, but the oldest got the birthright. And so the birthright meant that you get to run dad's business. You, you get the respect of the family. You get a double portion of the money. There's all kinds of stuff that go. And Jacob couldn't handle it. So what did he do? He devised a way to cheat himself into a situation that was profitable for him. And basically what he ended up saying is that it doesn't matter how I do it as long as I get what I want. And I can almost guarantee you there's some area of your life that you're saying that right now. It doesn't matter how I do it as long as I get what I want. Because what we think is if I just get what I want, then I'll worship. If I just get what I want, then I'll work my life out. If I just get what I want, then everything will be content in my heart. But what you don't realize is when you get what you want, you're going to put some other idol on the throne of your heart. Until you vacate that space and give it to its rightful ruler. But we see in Jacob's life that he did this with his brother. He cheated him and swindled him, played on his vulnerability. Dude was hungry. And like he, he made this amazing bowl of, I mean, I, I think of it, it's like chili, but he made this bowl of soup for his brother and had his brother just come back from hunting and was famished. And he said, hey man, I'll give you this. And he's like, man, can I have some of that? I'm about, I'm about to die over here. He's like, yeah, you, I'll, you give it to me. You know, I'll give it to you if you give me your birthright. He's like, my birthright? He's like, I'm hungry. He's like, Come, just give me some soup. He goes, if you give me your birthright, I'll give you the soup. He's like, man, I guess so, because I feel like I'm about to die right now. He said, if, if, I, if I'm dead, the birthright ain't going to do me no good. So he gave him his birthright. So he, he preyed on someone else's vulnerability. He compromised his morals to get what he wants. Are you doing that in some area of your life? Are you compromising just a little bit? Because there's a thing called sin, okay? And sin literally means missing the mark. It is, that, that's what the word means. That, that is the, when you study what it means, it's, it's not just some dirty, evil, terrible thing. What it is, is it means God has a standard. Here's the target. What is the target? It's holiness. It's a life that's pleasing to him, actions that are pleasing to him. And sin literally means here's the mark and you missed it. Now, that might be through an attitude. It might be through something that is filthy or something that is perverted. It might be through some kind of thought. It might be through pride. It might be through some other thing. But it's simply missing the mark. And no matter, the Bible says all have sinned. We all miss the mark and we've fallen short of the glory of God. But what we have to make sure that we don't do is, is realize that when we sin, we're distancing ourselves from God. When we regularly sin and we, and, and you say, well, what is sin? It is just simply missing the mark, period. Now, look, I feel like for the most part at City of Life, 
I feel like, I mean, I, I, don't, I, I don't really think a lot about, well, what kind of pastor am I? What do I, I don't really analyze it a lot because I, I try to teach the word. I try to let leaders speak into my life. I try to be accountable. I try to do all these things, but I don't, I'm not super introspective with all those things, but kind of putting this message together, I started thinking about, okay, well, what kind of pastor am I in terms of do I make people feel when, when they come, do I make people feel this sense of you can never be good enough? You're, you, you better do this and you better do that. And I thought, I, pr- I don't think I do. I don't think that I am that kind of preacher that when you come here, you leave, you go, man, I, I can never do anything right. His, his, the, the standards that he's talking about is so high. I don't think I'm like that. And, and I, think I, would, I think I would lean toward the, sort of the grace-filled message if I had to categorize where I am, but I got to be honest with you. There's a danger with only preaching that side. And what it is, is you sort of leave it up to everyone to just determine what is good for me or what is good for you. It's sort of like anyone ever have kids and and you say, okay, kids, I'm going to bed. Uh, Just go to bed at a decent hour. You wake up the next morning, they're still up. There are empty bags of Doritos everywhere. They look like a character from The Walking Dead. You can't, what? You can't leave that up to a kid to determine the boundaries in an area where they're not good at at making boundaries. It's the whole point of being a kid. And in the same way, God doesn't leave it up to our interpretation what sin is. It's not my job to let you interpret it. It's the Bible's job that tells us what is sinful. So today, in this message, when, I'm looking, when we're looking at Jacob, we're looking at idols. We're looking at things that we think are going to help us, but they don't. We have to be very real about the idea that sin not only exists. My God, if I've ever indicated sin doesn't exist, I'm terrible pastor. And I don't think I've done that. But I'll tell you this right now. There are sinful behaviors that distance us from God. And if we are left up to our own to create our own rules and our own standards, if you're married and you're flirting with somebody that you work with, you're sinning. Period. Period. If you're watching pornography, you're sinning. Period. You say, why do you have to be so black and white? It's just a fact. If you're, if you're sitting there jealous over other people and, and, and you're, 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 you're hoping that something goes wrong in their life, that is sinful. That is sinning. There is no room for saying, well, it might be sin for me, uh, but it might not be sin for him because he can handle it. No, no. If you're doing any of those things, there are lines that must be drawn. There are lines that have to be drawn in our lives as believers. And I think the beginning of the year, it's time to start drawing some lines. You wonder why you keep running into the same problems over and over. Maybe because that's because you quit drawing lines a long time ago. And if you are led by the Holy Spirit, he is going to lead us into places in our life that encourage us. And he is going to put little warning signs up in our hearts. You know, maybe there was a time in your life where you wouldn't watch just anything on Netflix. Maybe there was a time in your life where you said, oh, that says M.A. because it's got nudity. It's got language. It's got blah, blah, blah. I I probably shouldn't watch this. It's not really encouraging for me. Maybe there was a time where that, that you felt that, that warning in your heart and you said, I don't need to go there. 
But, but can I tell you something? The more that you go against what the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart about your life, the more comfortable, comfortable you become doing it again and again and again to the point where not only do you not believe it's wrong for you, you think that if anyone else says anything about it, they're wrong. See, we get flipped upside down because when we left these idols and you say, well, how is that an idol? It's a thing in our life that we give control. We give control of it in our hearts to that particular thing. And it takes and occupies the throne that only Jesus should be sitting on in our lives. And we will do anything when our lives are controlled by these other things. We will do anything to get the gratification that comes from those areas. Just like Jacob will compromise our morals, will compromise our principles, will compromise our standards. He went on and deceived his father because he had these, he, he wanted the birthright, he wanted the blessing uh, that Jacob was supposed to give to, or that Isaac was supposed to give to Esau. And he deceived his father. He put animal skins on his arm and pretended that he was his brother, that he's all hairy when he was really very smooth skinned. We go to any length that we, we will go to any length necessary to worship the God that sits on our hearts. And we have to be willing to address this in our lives. I'm asking you today, those of you that are watching online, I'm asking you to look deep today. Look at your soul. Look at your heart. We can't go through this anymore. What, what we need in our country, what we need in our community is, is not anything else other than what we're talking about right here. Okay, people got all kinds of solutions for how to fix everything. Well, I, want to, I want to say this. If you want to fix everything, you better start with fixing your own heart. Okay, because if you fix your own heart, and she fixes her heart, and he fixes his heart, then what happens is God has got control. God has got control of our lives. Then he can begin to move in his people. Then something happens called revival, where people look over there. They say, look at what's happening at City of Life. Look at how those people are worshiping God. Look at, look at how they're living. Look how they're loving people and serving people. I want more of that. And it starts spreading around. That's how you create a movement, is you let God have control of your heart. Give up that throne that belongs to, come on, are you here today? Give up that throne that you've let someone else sit on the throne. We need a Holy Ghost coup d'etat on the throne of our heart. We need to overthrow the government of our heart that doesn't belong. I'm not sure what it is, if it's a relationship that has got control and is ruling and is governing our lives. If it is, you need to overthrow it. See, but here's the problem, is when we typically overthrow those things, here's what it looks like a lot of people. Lost, get off the throne of my heart in Jesus' name. I kick you out. You no longer have any right to be here. No residence whatsoever. Get out in Jesus' name. And we're in a service, and we're, but we mean it too. And so, so lust is, you know, it's got to go. So, so it leaves. Now you got an empty throne. But the problem is we don't invite Jesus to sit on that throne. So what happens? Either lust comes back or he comes back and brings seven of his friends with him. And now you got all kinds of other things that are ruling the throne of your heart. Let me tell you something. When you vacate that spot that belongs to something else, it's going to hurt. Changes like that are going to rock you. The kind of things that you feel, anybody ever been on a fast? Raise your hand if you've ever been on a fast. 
Okay. Fasting. It's hard. It's really, really hard. And when you start fasting, you get in a bad mood really quick. Because what's happening is you're taking away the things that make you comfortable. You have a headache forever. You, you, you're irritable. You don't have, like, you don't have the little simple things that you do in your routine that give you the comfort. And it reminds you how much you're sort of addicted to the way that you eat. But when you take that away, it reveals some things about your life. And that is what has to happen when you uproot and overthrow whoever it is that is actually sitting on the throne of your heart. It is a drastic change. To, you know, if you've ever, you know, Amy lived in the Philippines when she was in Bible school. When you live in another country and you experience the differences between one government and another government, sometimes it is very drastic. Sometimes the rules that people live by, the way they do business, the way they do life, something that's illegal here is not illegal over there, vice versa. Sometimes you just feel so weird because you're actually a foreigner. And you feel like that when you give Jesus residence. When you let him sit on that throne that only belongs to him. Listen, what I'm trying to tell you today is not this judgmental message that's trying to make you feel bad. What I'm trying to tell you is that you're worshiping something that has no power to save you. And it doesn't even have power to make you happy. Why? Because think about the last time you got exactly what you wanted. Were you completely satisfied and you can just say, okay, and now I can die in peace because I've had this? No. What it does is it creates a need for more and more of that same thing in your life or just something new. It, we get this grass is greener on the other side mentality where we think, oh, if I could just be in this state or if I could just live. And I'm, I had a guy that was cutting my hair a couple of years ago. He was such a sharp guy. I, said, I hadn't seen him in a while. I said, hey, man, I said, what, what are you up to? He goes, oh, I'm moving to Oregon. I said, why? He goes, trees. I was like, well, dude, we have, we have trees here. There's a lot of trees here too. And he goes, well, just to be honest with you, it just seems a lot cooler. Okay, now, whatever, that's fine. I mean, if you're 21 years old and you have always dreamed about living in Oregon and, or something, I don't know, maybe there's certain kinds of trees that are not here. Or, just defending the guy. Maybe there's something some reason that he's going to Oregon. But I think that the, the general idea here is that we get this grass is greener mentality and we think, oh, if I just had this wife. Oh, if I just had this job. Oh, if I could just go to this church, boy, they've got it really figured out. No, they don't. Uh, as a matter of fact, no one really has it figured out. Everyone is flawed. Everyone is working. I mean, I'm talking about people that love God. Everyone is working out their salvation with fear and trembling. If you're really honest with you, with yourself, everyone is figuring out a way to do it. If you got somewhere else, what you realize is there's a new group of jerks that you've yet to discover. Okay. It's just a fact. So here's the message today. Why not just deal with the jerks that God has given you? Rather than looking for a new set of jerks, just deal with the ones that he's already put in your life. It's a lot simpler. It'll save you a lot of money and a lot of alimony if you would just simply listen to what I'm about to say. You don't need a better wife. You need a better you. 
Okay, you don't need a better job. You need a better you. You need a better heart. These things are not going to make you happy, and we see it all the time. Well, she compliments me, and, and she, she notices my outfits, and my wife stopped complimenting me a long time ago. I'm not even going to say what's coming to my mind right now. I, the, the, these, 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 kinds of, these kinds of things are, are beyond comprehension. Get Jesus on the throne of your heart. Get the junk out and get Jesus on the throne of your heart. Because I promise you, if you think that that lady that's complimenting you is going to be the answer that makes you feel good in life, what's going to happen? Let me tell you something. When, you're, when you've got people that are flirting with you and are trying to get you to cheat on your spouse, you're not going to find out anything negative about them until you're committed to them. That's the problem is everyone looks great on Instagram. Everyone looks great when they're complimenting you at work. Number one, on Instagram, sometimes you meet that person in person that, that's on Instagram. You go, they actually don't look like they look on Instagram. So that's a problem too. Uh, but, but the truth is, of course, this special someone that always tells you you're wonderful and sends you flowers, of course, they're trying to win your affection. When you actually get with them, you're going to have to go through the same junk that you went through with your first wife to begin with. But instead of... Instead of building something special together and overcoming difficulties and challenges in the name of Jesus together and almost quitting, but deciding to move forward and let God be the center of your lives, you're going to go start over with someone else and reintroduce a brand new set of problems. You don't need a better wife. You need a better heart. Get your heart right with God today. Uproot whatever is holding on to you. If it's jealousy, if it's bitterness, if it's unforgiveness, you've given that place uh, literally a throne and you said, rule my life, I worship you. Unforgiveness, rule my life, I worship you. Gluttony, rule my life, I worship you. Alcohol addiction, drug addiction, pornography, rule my life, I worship you. Whenever you give an order, I will do and execute exactly what you say. I'm tired. I don't feel good. Go to a website that you shouldn't go to because that's going to give me comfort. Okay, I worship you. Uh, oh, honey, what, what are you doing, honey? Uh, praying. You, you, see, you see how you lie? You see how Jacob lied to get what he wanted? Because he was worshiping the clout that comes with a birthright. He was worshiping the clout that comes with the blessing and that, that, that blessing that, and the declaration that his father was going to pray over him. After he got exactly what he wanted, he realized it cost him everything. He couldn't even enjoy it. He had to move to a different place and go work for someone named Laban because he had the most gorgeous daughter. Her name was Rachel. And when you read the scriptures, I read it a couple weeks ago. It says, Laban had two daughters. The older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes. Now, I don't know what that means, but I'm assuming it means something about her looks because it said, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. So Leah struggled in the looks department. <laughs> Leah was not gorgeous, 
But Rachel was gorgeous, and it talks about her figure. So it's saying that she looked good from far away. And then it said, and she, it said, and she was beautiful. So it means that she looked good coming, and she looked good when she got closer to. She was, she was the double. Uh, she, she, had, she had both going on for her. So what happened is now this guy who has been used to compromising his morals, compromising his values, all these things to get what he wants, now says, okay, move over, birthright. Get off the throne of my heart. Move over, blessing. Get off the throne of my heart. I already got you. Let me put something else up there. And now it's the clout that comes from having the most beautiful girl in town. So he agrees to work seven years for Laban to get her. And he works these seven years to get Rachel. And Laban actually gives him Leah. And in an unbelievably confusing uh, turn of events, the morning after his wedding night, he wakes up after, you know, consummating his marriage with Leah and, you know, says a classic line, which seems like a line most men would say, uh, wow, you're not my wife. You know, it's just kind of a strange kind of moment there uh, where I'm not sure how you figure that out at that point in the game. Do you know what I mean? Uh, it, it seems like you would know. Uh, but for whatever reason, he doesn't know. And he goes, but hey, you know, that wasn't my wife, you know, to, to Laban. He goes, oh, yeah, well, it's not customary here for us to give the youngest first. Uh, I'll give you Leah. And so he, get, so he has to work another seven years to get, I'll give you Rachel. He has to work another seven years to get Rachel. So here's, here's where I ended up the last time. And I had all kind of stuff that's been in my heart today. I hope anyone enjoying what God is doing here today, because I think this is good stuff. So he gives Rachel to him. Now let's move for a quick second. I've only got a couple minutes and I'm going to close. Now we move to Leah. Let's get off of Jacob for a second because we see that Jacob had all these things that were pulling him in different directions. He'd compromise his morals, compromise his values for some cheap thing that gives you only gratification temporarily. But now we move to the sort of on Leah. It says, when, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved... He enabled her to conceive. Number one, she's not loved. Okay? It says, but Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant. Okay, so first of all, Leah, we see some of her needs because the Bible says she's not loved. And when you're not loved, you'll turn to all kinds of things to find your value. When you're not loved, you will turn to the wrong relationships. Just because someone acknowledges you uh, when you're not loved... Sometimes you'll easily jump into something, even if there are warning signs there, because you're so desperate for someone to uh, affirm you. Uh, and, this, and, and this is kind of where, where Leah is, but God sees her. And in that time period, as a wife, the number one thing you could do that showed you had value was to, to bear children. So even though Jacob loved Rachel, she was beautiful, but she couldn't have kids. So the Bible says that God caused Leah to be able to have kids. Now listen to this. She becomes pregnant and it says she gave birth to a son and named him Reuben. For she said, it's because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. So we see that she's got something on the throne of her heart. Being the kind of wife that everyone thinks you should be. If I can just give him a son. And, and she named him this. For, for that reason, saying, surely he'll love me now. 
Then it says she conceived again, and when she gave birth to a second, says, second son, she said, because the Lord heard that I'm not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. So this idol that's on the throne of her heart, she gets exactly what she wants again, but she still doesn't feel loved and doesn't feel valued. We got to learn from Leah here today. And then it says, again, she conceived and gave birth to a son and said, now at last, my husband will become attached to me because I gave him three sons. And she named him Levi. After three times, years and years and years have passed of dreaming, fantasizing about if I could just have blank, whatever that is in your life. Oh my gosh. I hope you're learning this from Leah. When you get that thing that you wanted so bad, it never satisfies you. Never. But listen what she did. This is what we want to do. It says she conceived again. And when she gave birth to this son, she said, this time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. And by the way, one of the names of Jesus is Lion of the tribe of Judah. Judah come, Jesus comes from that line of Judah, that son that she bore. She came to the place where she said, you know what? I am tired of finding my value in what I do. I'm tired of finding my value in anything other than God. I finally learned my lesson that after turning to the wrong things time and time again, after turning to that habit that never truly satisfies me, it's so temporary. After turning to that relationship that I know is wrong and every time I do it, I only get a temporary fix. After doing all those things, forget it. Never again, this time. Somebody say this time. Somebody put your hand on your heart and say this time. This time I will praise the Lord. See, Jacob was looking for value and status. Leah was looking for value through Jacob. She was finding her value in another person. What do we have to do about idols? We have to acknowledge they're powerless to save us. We have to acknowledge how dangerous they are to our destiny. We have to acknowledge how sorrowful they are to God. And we got to kick them out, man got to kick them off that throne. Idols cause us to get into spiritual adultery where we're literally cheating on God. We're supposed to have that relationship with God. We're cheating on God with something else. Idols cause us to get into spiritual blindness. We're literally, we become imbeciles. We can't even see what we look like. We can't even see the decisions that we're making. Other people can. God can. Other people see us and go, my God, they're in a funk. They got something weird going on in their life. And we, we don't even see it. Why? Because we're desperately worshiping that thing that has residence in our heart that belongs to Jesus. They make us spiritually blind. And finally, the last part, and this is the part it's hard to say. Idols give us spiritual consequences. Sin has consequences. And we will pay for them. Okay, now as Christians, the great thing about us is this doesn't cost us our salvation because we didn't earn our salvation. Jesus did. But we do see the consequences. 
The Bible says, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. If you're sowing bitterness in your life, it's coming back to your life. You say, well, I thought the curse was reversed. It is, but you've been sowing sinful seeds in your life. And you're gonna see some things walked out of your life. That's why you need to cancel everything that's happened in your life. You need to uproot whatever's been on the throne of your heart. There are consequences for sowing that kind of seed in your life. My dad, he's not here today, but did you know every single night he goes out and his yard has done this since I was a little kid and he prays for about two hours. And I'm not saying that there's some holy magical number to hours and you have to pray for hours, but I'm just saying he declares things over his life. He declares things over his family. He declares things over me that I'm seeing happen in my life. Why? He has sown the seed and he is reaping that good seed that he has sown. So if you can see good seed that reaps a harvest, then bad seed, bad seeds will reap a harvest as well. It is time to uproot whatever has been on the throne of your heart and start sowing some good seed in Jesus' name. This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.